you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sweet Victory and Jay Macker on tap to help us navigate the show. Uh, today's Friday. We usually call this show our Friday Gumbo Show, which means that everything goes into the pot. We do a recap. However, I want to do something just a little bit different um, from time to time. You know, I will intentionally have something that I, I feel like is not sufficiently tied up as far as what we've discussed. And I want to talk about that. And uh, then sometimes it just happens. We didn't plan that. It's just the direction that the show went. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize that it's Friday and we usually try to do a little bit of a lighter show. But what we've discussed all week is incredibly troubling to me. And I feel like we have done um, we have done. An, an okay job making the connections and, and making the points that we were trying to make and trying to help people understand where we perceive the culture to be. Yeah. And I will, I will try to leave some time in the last segment to open the phone lines. If I don't, you'll forgive me because you have to, you're a Christian. So <laughs> if I don't open the phone lines, you will forgive me and, uh, and then send a nasty email. Um, but I, I do, I want to make sure that I give this, um, topic the proper um what's the word i'm looking for it there's a way to really tie in all of the content that we have presented this week certainly since tuesday where we looked at what happened in nashville and the failure on the part of our media to discuss the fact that this was a self-identified transgender individual who committed this mass shooting and I, I think what people would want to hear me say, and, and I want to be very careful here. I think that there are people in two categories, if you will, um, who would be the Christian, who is the conservative, mm-hmm. who wants to hear me say that this is, oh, my goodness, look at see the transgenders. Right. And, and feel like because because that's that's what you expect to hear me say. Then I think there are the people who are the liberals may or may not be Christian want to hear me blaming the transgender so that they can swoop in and then come to the aid of those who would identify as such. Uh, Both of those positions are wrong. That is not what I'm trying to do. What I am attempting to do is something that I do not only on this program, but also when I give presentations, when I give talks on these topics, is I am trying to make a connection between the mental state of our young people in this country What is causing a lot of what they are experiencing as far as anxiety and and depression and all of these things? When I when I give the numbers and I usually go into more detail in direct presentation. But when I when I give the numbers and talk about this, what I am doing is sounding an alarm. Mm. And so whether or not that seems to support or bolster someone's narrative, I don't care which side you're on. 
that's not really my aim. Yeah. That's I'm not trying to bolster someone's narrative where either side says, see what she's saying or see what she's saying. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. What I am trying to do is to say we have a real problem in this country. So when we title one of the shows America's Ticking Time Bombs, I am not trying to be sensational. I am saying that we have people who are, by all data that we have available to us, they are identified as emotionally and mentally unstable and that the the breakdown for how they identify is directly attributed to that. Mm. And so when we don't want to talk about that, so it is reckless on the part of the mainstream media to not alert the public, because now what we are saying is that we do have ticking time bombs walking among us. And we know this, and I'm going to show you from the data today. But we don't want to talk about it. And it goes even further than it goes even beyond saying that they are a protected class. Right. I really think in in large part, it goes back to a refusal to even see the initiation of these types of conversations as mental disorder. And I think when we began to remove the reality that a, a man who believes that he is a woman or that a woman is trapped inside his body, when we moved away from talking about that as a mental disorder, mm-hmm. we then tied our hands for giving proper yeah. aid to people who are suffering. Yeah. And so now what we are doing is we are having a conversation that would have been a legitimate conversation about mental health just 10, 15 years ago. We are having this conversation. And because we have given into the culture that said you can't identify that in that way. Now we look like hateful people looking for a scapegoat. That is not what we are doing. What we are saying is that for a woman to believe that a man is trapped inside her body. And that she is in some way going to reveal this man and live as this man that is trapped inside. For us to say that that is not mental illness has put us at a great disadvantage in this country. And so, look, we have historically and I'm going to just be very, very like straightforward today because I I think this is how we want to wrap up this week's programming. Okay, We have been very straightforward when historically in this country we looked at identifiers for people who um, committed certain types of crimes and no one gave disclaimers. Like you said, okay, if you've got young black men who are not growing up with their fathers in their homes, then they are more likely to fall into gang activity. No one said, well, that's just offensive. And no, because it's a fact Yeah. because you have, you have statistical data that says it's a fact. And nobody balked at that. Nobody said, well, I think you, I don't think it's fair for you to say that. No. So we had two things that we were identifying. We were identifying both cultural influences. And then we were also identifying the home as a source of shaping the outcomes of those who would be affected by those cultures. So today, when we talk about the LGBTQ plus mental illness problem. Yeah. I am not going to handle that with white Smithsonian gloves right? because right. it is a real problem. Yeah. And because we have scientists and we have researchers, we have statisticians who look at data, who talk about mental illness in this country that actually serve to help us have this discussion. This is not something that we just feel like it's true. This is something that has some numbers attached to it. Mm. And so the way I want to wrap up the programming for the week is to leave no doubt as to what it is I am actually trying to point out 
as we look at what happened in Nashville earlier this week, I am not looking to scapegoat a particular community because that supports my Christian narrative. Far be it from me to take that sort of like, you know, to me, that's a, that's an immature irrational just to try to oh and so now you got to worry about all the transgenders who are like going to be out there shooting up people no we know that's not true but we do have a larger problem that actually historically we were able to identify and say well if these people are in this category there's a heightened risk for this type of crime there's a heightened risk for this type of activity at the very least as it pertains to the conversation today there's a heightened risk for this person to experience mental illness right And what is very important to this conversation, there's a heightened risk that the person will experience suicide ideation Mm. or be given to that. Now, why is that important? Because what we know about this woman who went in and shot six people at the Covenant Private Christian School in Nashville is that she was going in to die. She knew she was going in to die. So this was a suicide act. Now, why is that important? Well, because the rates of suicide and suicide mm. ideation among those yeah. who identify at, as LGBTQ is astronomical. Mm. And so for us to ignore that and say, well, you're just taking the conservative position and trying to blame the transgenders is stupid. And I'm sorry, I, but it's stupid because we used to have the kind of sense where we would say, well, let's look at the data and nobody attaches themselves to the data. We say that the numbers don't have a, a party affiliation. The numbers don't have a culture. The numbers don't have a religion. The numbers are just the numbers, right? So if you just look at the data, now you can interpret that however you want. And your interpretation may be based on your party affiliation or your culture or your religion, But the numbers are the numbers. And so what I want to look at as we wrap up this week's programming, I want to look at the numbers. And I want us to return to a sane conversation that we are able to have in this country where we say we are not helping people when we ignore their mental illness. And when we try to say, now, please, let's let's walk on this path together, because we would try to say that the, the reason we have such high numbers and high rates of mental illness among those who identify in the LGBTQ plus community is because they are not accepted. It's because they are not validated. Let's, let's look at where we are. Maybe you could have used that argument in the eighties, in the nineties and the early two thousands. They still try to use it, but look at where we are today. Yeah. Look, look at what is happening. Look at the outright celebration. Look at those who are actually the marginalized in our culture. So what I am telling you is that the rates of depression and anxiety are not the result of being rejected in a culture because right now we're at the height of celebration. The rates of mental anxiety and anguish that are experienced among this group is because we have tried to normalize a lie that at the end of the day, when the person goes home, when there is not a reporter on scene to validate, when when the invitation to go to the Today Show and sit on the couch, when, when all of that is over, when the person puts head to pillow, the reality of who that person really is, as designed by Creator God, does not leave. You know, I feel like, as far as celebration, and you're right, it has been celebrated by this culture, but I feel like if you look at uh, who is largely who are largely not celebrating, and even some are celebrating, but you have to look at Bible-believing Christians as yes. the ones who are not celebrating even though you have some 
Christians in name <laughs> who who are, but the the group that would be the ones not celebrating, you know, would say Bible Bible believing Christians, or you may say Muslims, or it would be people that uh, of, of some type of religious bent. Right. And so it seems that because of the lack of celebration by Christians, let's just say Christians, it 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 would give them a target to say they are the haters. They mm. are the ones that hate mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're celebrated by everybody else, but look at it's these it's this group of people who are not joining in. And so yes. they are a problem. Yes, and and a problem for the mentally unstable, the mentally unwell. And so what we have a national media doing is we have a national media refusing to both identify the mental illness factor and to acknowledge the fact that you have then now created an entire group of people who are soft targets because you have linked those people and their doctrine, right, to being the attackers on this particular community. You have made them the attackers. So then when the when those who are attacked feel like they need to retaliate, i.e. day of vengeance or whatever, the rally of vengeance, okay, they feel justified. Right. So but what I am saying today, and I want to look at, I'm just going to turn to it so that we can make sure that we get all of the all of the content in today. But this is a Vice article, and I, I have a couple articles. This is a Vice article. It's from 2019, but the information, the data that was collected is still sufficient in helping us understand almost the profile of shooters in this country, mass shooters in this country. And so I want to, we're just going to talk about it. We're not, we're going to, we're going to take off, if you will, the, the, the urge or the, you know, the desire to try to like bend it in a particular direction. We're just going to look at the data that is collected and we're going to just ask ourselves some questions about that information. And we'll do it very carefully because we are mature and intelligent enough to do that. But we will ask the questions. We're not going to be, you know, scared into being quiet or trying to find just the right way to say it. I mean, look, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to have honest conversations because honesty has largely left conversations today. Right. There was a time in the past where people would not have been nearly as uncomfortable to just discuss facts. But now, because we are an emotionally driven culture, facts make us uncomfortable. Mm. Well, not me. I want the facts. Let's talk about the data. Let's discuss it. All right. I'm listening to the music. I recognize that we don't have enough time to get into it. On the other side of the break, we're going to dive right in. This is Aaron the Addison's version of the Friday Gumbo Show. Um, we are recapping, so we'll take a break and be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio, airing the Addisons on American <laughs> Family Radio. It's the Friday edition. Um, we're doing a recap. It is di- it's a different type of recap. I'm trying to pull together all that we've discussed uh, this week so that it makes sense to the listener and so that you have this information when you engage in conversations about threats in our country and what's going on and who's a potential um, you know, mass shooter. 
we actually have some data collected on that. And, and I, I, I want to not ignore um, the various categories that mm. those who are mentally disturbed fall into. And this is also data that is collected. Now, what most people will refuse to do is to connect the data. They will refuse to say, wait a minute, if that is what we consider, then what about this? But I, I don't want to, I want to, I want to connect the data. I want to say, what about this? And what about that data? And how do we reconcile these numbers? And I think we all need to be thinking deeply on these issues, not so that we are pointing fingers, but so that we can take the proper precaution to protect people in this country. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, we used to all agree that we wanted to do that. Well, that's of course, unless, and until the narrative that you're trying to protect comes under attack. Mm. I don't care so much about that. Here we go. Nearly all mass shooters since 1966 have had four things in common. This is a Vice article, by the way. Very interesting. Uh, nearly all mass shooters since 1966 have had four things in common. The stereotype of a mass shooter is a white male with a history of mental illness or domestic violence. While that may be anecdotally true, the largest single study of mass shooters ever funded by the U.S. government has found that nearly all mass shooters have four specific things in common. A new Department of Justice funded study of all mass shootings, which is killings of four or more people in a public place since 1966, found that the shooters typically have an experience with childhood trauma, a personal crisis or specific grievance and a script or examples that validate their feelings or provide a roadmap. Let me go back to that, people. Hmm. Okay, because we want to act. Okay, so. Since 1966, they found that shooters typically have um, an experience with childhood trauma, a personal crisis or a specific grievance, and a script or examples that validate their feelings or provide a roadmap. <laughs> and then there's the fourth thing this article says. There's a fourth thing, access to a firearm. <laughs> so all of these things, we don't, we don't, discuss just the one of them all of these things taken together based on this research is something that we should look at it's something that we should discuss now i'll i'll tell you because you know well let me let me i'll continue and then maybe if we have time all right so here we go the study compiled by the violence project a nonpartisan think tank dedicated to reducing violence in society was published in 2019 as the most comprehensive and detailed database of mass shooters to date coded to 100 different variables. It, its release comes less than a week. This was in 2019 after a teenage boy killed two students at his high school in Santa Clarita, California, before fatally shooting himself in the head. The researchers used the FBI's definition of a mass murder, four or more people killed, excluding the perpetrator, and applied it to shootings in one public place. So that's what we're discussing. The data set stretches back to August 1st, 1966, when a former Marine opened fire for an I'm sorry, fire from an observation deck at the University of Texas, killing 15 people. It wasn't the first mass shooting in the U.S., but researchers chose it as a starting point because it was the first to be substantially covered on radio and television. The database delivers a number of arresting findings. Mass shootings are becoming much more frequent, frequent and deadly. Of the 167 incidents the researchers logged in that 53, I'm sorry, 53-year period, 20% have occurred in the last five years and half since 2000. 
They're also increasingly motivated, these crimes, these mass shootings, increasingly motivated by racial, religious or misogynist hatred, particularly the ones that occurred in the last five years. Now, that's really, really interesting, Mm -hmm. really interesting, because in that list, there are several factors that you could pull out. And and I would say that you could say tangibly contribute to the reason that these would be motivated mass shootings perpetrated on people in this group. So in the religious group and, and women, crimes against women. And in an era back to the article here, in an era When tightening gun laws, including background checks, is a national political issue, the study found that more than half of all mass shooters in the database obtained their guns legally. Kudos to Vice for including that information. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But researchers said they were particularly struck by how many mass shooters displayed symptoms of being in some sort of crisis prior to the shooting. See, this is the conversation we want to have today. This like this. This is what we don't want to talk about. Right. That they displayed crisis prior to the shooting and, to and then detriment. to, to our own about. detriment, mm. to our own detriment. Mm. And, and, and now we are saying there is an additional layer of protection where we will not identify certain crisis in people's lives. We're just going to we're just going to willingly say, you know, I don't see that or willfully say, I don't see that. All right. This article says those are opportunities for prevention. All right. Five profiles of mass shooters, five profiles of mass shooters. Experts have long cautioned that there is no single profile for a mass shooter, but the violence project researchers found some personal characteristics uh, that often align with certain types of locations targeted by shooters and created five general categories. This is fascinating research, people. This is fascinating research. When we come to these conversations, we don't just come with our our opinions. Here we go. K-12 shooters, K-12 shooters. Here's what they found as they looked at the K-12 shooters since 1966, okay? White males, typically students or former students of the school with a history of trauma. Mm. Most are suicidal, plan their crime extensively, and make others aware of their plans at some point before the shooting. Wow. They use multiple guns that they typically steal from a family member. College and university shooters, non-white males who are current students of the university. They are suicidal and have a history of violence and childhood trauma. They typically use legally obtained handguns and leave behind some sort of manifesto. Workplace shooters, 40-something males without a specific racial profile. Most are employees of their targeted location, often a blue-collar job site, and have some grievance against the workplace. They use legally purchased handguns and assault rifles. Place of worship shooters. White males in their 40s, typically motivated by hate or domestic violence that spills out into the public. Their crimes typically involve little planning. Shooters at commercial locations, such as stores or restaurants. White men in their 30s with a violent history and criminal record. They typically have no connection to the targeted location and use a single legally obtained firearm. About a third show evidence of a thought disorder, a term for a mental health condition like schizophrenia that results in disorganized thinking, paranoia or delusions. Now. 
when you compare the data that we have on those who identify as LGBTQ plus and their mental state and the rates of suicide ideation, which in my opinion supports the, the, the investigation that is necessary right. or the scrutiny that is necessary into their, their, that this is a mental you, issue. You need to know that. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can't, if, yeah. If the person is crying out for help, right. Right. Why, why do we say you don't need help? Right. So <laughs> let's, let's, so that's, that's in one basket here, the profiles of shooters and everything that I just read to you. Okay. That's in one basket. Let's turn our attention to another basket. And here's another article. And this article was originally released in 2020 and the numbers, the stats were updated in 2022. And this article comes from the national Alliance on mental illness. And so again, and keep this in mind, please people that these are just numbers. These are the numbers, right? So these numbers here, as we're looking at mental health in this country, these numbers are not attached to somebody's religious conviction. These numbers are not attached to somebody's party affiliation. These are just the numbers. All right. So from this alliance, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, they give uh, some fast facts. I'm, I'm going to skip those. I may come back to them later. But they look at the annual prevalence of mental illness among U- U.S. adults by the demographic group. So the prevalence of mental illness among U.S. adults by demographic group. And I'm just going to break down these numbers because you, you need to hear the, the jumps in the percentages among this group, these groups. OK, so non-Hispanic Asian, 13.9 percent. Mentally ill among that group, mm-hmm. non-Hispanic white, 22.6 percent, <clears throat> excuse me, non-Hispanic black or African-American, 17.3 percent. Non-Hispanic American Indian or Alaska Native, 18.7%. Non-Hispanic mixed or multiracial, 35.8%. Wow. That's, that's yeah, alarming. Non-Hispanic Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, 16.6%. Hispanic or Latino, 18.4%. Lesbian, gay or bisexual, 47.4%. percent mm. It's the largest numerical breakdown, the largest percentage represented when you talk about by groups, 47.7 or 47.4% in this country wow. who identify as lesbian, gay or bisexual are identified also as mentally ill. But we can't talk about that. Let's talk about suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause. And why are, we, why are we talking about suicide? Because again, because again, there are some characteristics of the mass shooters who have a death wish, who are going in because they want to die. So they care nothing of who shows up. They care nothing of who they take out because at the end of it, the plan for them was to die. This is the case of the Nashville shooter who reached out to a friend who said, today I'm going to die. <laughs> this was suicide. 
Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 14. I remember giving these stats at a presentation and people gasping like they couldn't believe it. It's so unbelievable. It is so unbelievable. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages or age 10 to 14. The third leading cause of death among those ages 15 to 24 in the U.S. Suicide is the 12th leading cause of death overall in the U.S. 46% of people who die by suicide had a diagnosed mental health condition. 90% of people who die by suicide may have experienced symptoms of a mental health condition, according to interviews with family, friends, and medical professionals. Lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are nearly four times more likely to attempt suicide than straight youth. Wow. I'm going to read that line again because remember, we have to talk about the things that are the facts. We have to talk about the numbers. Lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are nearly four times more likely to attempt suicide than straight youth. Now, you, you would think that at some point those numbers would start to come down because you are increasingly celebrating LGBTQ plus youth. Hmm. Increasingly creating and carving out space for them to live their highest definition of self. But those numbers are not coming down. Right. What, what, what is it? What are we, what are we missing? What, what are we not understanding? Or what are we refusing to understand? Transgender adults are nearly nine times more likely to attempt suicide at some point in their lifetime compared to the general population. I'm sorry, nine times, nine times more likely to attempt suicide at some point in their lifetime compared to the general population. One more set. The annual prevalence of serious thoughts of suicide by U.S. demographic group. 4.9% of all adults have serious thoughts of suicide. 11.3% of young adults ages 18 to 25 have serious thoughts of suicide. 18.8% of high school students have serious thoughts of suicide. 45% of LGBTQ plus youth have serious thoughts of suicide. Now, when you take that data and you compare it with the data on mass shooters and you consider also this piece of information that shows that you've got people who attack religious targets, right? Because they believe that they themselves have been attacked maybe by an ideology or maybe by a thought or, you know, whatever it is. And they feel justified in that. When I say that America is creating ticking time bombs I am not being sensational. Right. I am saying we are choosing to our own detriment to ignore a very clear connection between the mental health of those who identify as LGBTQ plus and those who increasingly will see themselves as defending those identities against people who they see as working great violence because they disagree. They disagree. Because they believe that facts still exist. Because they believe that biology is still a legitimate science. Or because their doctrine teaches that which they adhere to. 
This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio, 888-589-8840. You can chime in if you'd like, 888-589-8840. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's uh, JP Got Saved featuring five. Give him Jesus. Look, I, I just want it to be very clear to our listening audience. We love and appreciate this audience so much, and we do not take you for granted at all. It is never our intent to upset people. But I will say this. We will not hold back discussing the facts because it may, you know, overused word here, trigger people. I, you know... Look, we we have this information at our fingertips here. And if we are willing to make the connections, we will make them and then we'll take the proper steps. People are hurting in our country. That's right. And they are being celebrated in that hurt. So it's very <laughs> confusing to them. Right. So they don't know how to discern right. that hurt because it's like I don't feel satisfied. I, I actually don't feel better. But everybody's telling me I'm OK. Mm. But I, but I don't feel OK. Like I go home at night and, and, and once, you know, the Today Show is done with me, I, you know, once Desmond is not amazing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Once once I'm home, I, I just don't know because I don't feel what they say I should feel. I've had healthy body parts mm-hmm. removed, but I, I still don't feel like a man. I don't mm. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I thought, you know, and so what I'm saying is that we've got to show up That's to right. help people and we're not going to help people if we allow ourselves to be f- fear mongered into the corner. Right, right. And I think the the thing is, the feeling is, if you remember before you were saved and and living in sin, how Come sin on. would be pleasurable for a season, but you Come felt empty. On. Right. You knew that you right. were not whole, you know, mm, until you met Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. Like, that's right. They're they, they being celebrated. Yes. The culture is like falling all over itself for them, but they're empty because they don't have Jesus Christ is the same way with anyone who don't, who was away from God. There's mm. a hole there. Yes. There's a void. Yes. And so there's emptiness, and that's what's coming to the surface. That's what we see in this uh, uh, depression and suicide and all of that because they are not happy even being celebrated. Oh, man. Man. I Yeah. Say law on that for just a minute. I mean, because I think that that is such a great illustration. There is the, the pleasure of sin enjoyed for a season, and in that moment there is the delusion that this is good. That, I, that I'm having a good time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's we used to say this, uh, you know, in, in ministry to to college students, you know, it's like if you got to keep convincing yourself that you're having a good time, you're not. Right. You know, if, if right. that's if, man, this is fun, right? Like, man, yeah, we're having it. Yeah, like you're, <laughs> we're, we're partying. Like, you've got to keep telling yourself all of these things. You, it's like trying to convince yourself you're having a good time. You're, you're not. You're right. not having a good time. And we've got this happening in mass in our country where you are telling people that they are living their highest uh, representation or presentation of self. That this is who you were supposed to be all along. But deep down inside, just as you just illustrated, they know that there's something wrong. Right. All right. Let's go to the phone lines. 888-589-8840. Will the Great. Where do we go? All right. Let's go to Cody in Arkansas. Hi, Cody. Hi, uh, Addison. Thank you very much for taking your call. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm a military service member, and I've got almost 11 years of service in now. And I wanted to thank you for validating 
what I see in the military on a regular basis, which may sound out of context, but it's not. Uh, in my 11 years, I've seen over five active duty suicides. Mm. And I would say, and that's, I've seen five personally at my base. Wow. But that's not even to say anything about the bases that I'm not a part of that we hear about. Sure. And of the ones I've been at, and it would seem, this is a generalization maybe, that 90% of those individuals were suffering from gender dysphoria Mm. or you know, trans-identified mm-hmm. or LGBTQ, so on and so forth. And that was on top of the stress we were already dealing with cool. in the military. Yes, we had some natural, like, military stress suicides, but the majority of them are the guys that they're, and girls that are confused about who they are, what they are, and who they should love. Mm. And it's been, it's been the kind of thing that when you're in the military, you're a branch per se, of the government, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things can easily be brushed aside or not looked at by the numbers Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of whatever administration is over us. And I don't mean to speak bad about the boss. I know what you're saying. But (laughs) there is a lot of acceptance being pushed in the military. Mm. And it's not right. What we should be doing is keeping these ladies and gentlemen out that are coming in with those kind of, you know, dysphoria, basically. It's a mental illness. Because they're illness. not fit to serve, and they're just at higher risk for self-harm or active shooter circumstances. And mm. Wow. Cody, look, let me just Thank say you, this. You have articulated very well what so many of us in this country know to be true. We, as we watch our military capitulate and cower before ideologies that really weaken us. So many of us have been disheartened and what you are articulating and doing so well at articulating is what so many of us in this country fear, which is why I want to say number one, Cody, thank you so much for serving this nation in the way that you're doing. And our country needs to pray for our military. Yes. When, when we are celebrating Um, Those things that weaken our defenses in a literal way, we are in trouble. Cody, thank you so much for calling. Thank you again for your service to this country. Let's go back to the phone lines. Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Scott in North Carolina. Hi, Hi, Scott. Hey, guys. Um, I got two quick points to make. First, uh, and you guys kind of hit this on the head yesterday, um, I don't like to read about uh, a lot of the mass acts of violence because usually a day or so after they start looking for a motive and then excuse why the person did it. So it's really not bad because like you Mm -hmm. were saying yesterday, well, this person was probably abused by the the Christian. So, Mm -hmm. you know, is it really that bad? Because they kind of had it coming. Mm. The other point I wanted to make um, on Monday, you guys were talking about um, scripture, talking about principalities on earth. Mm -hmm. We have to remember, according to scripture, principalities is kind of a, allusion to Satan and his minions down here, we live in a kingdom, and a king is always stronger than a prince, and a kingdom <laughs> is always greater than any principality. Amen. 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 Look, I, look, I am so yes. grateful 
to be brought from the domain of darkness into the marvelous light, the marvelous kingdom of the Lord God. Mm-hmm. And you are spot on, Scott. And and I'm going to say that that is an encouragement that we should not just just you know, brush past. Like, thank you so much for that reminder because we do, it's the already, but not yet. It's the already, but not yet. Jesus has secured for us access to a kingdom that will never fade a kingdom that is the most powerful kingdom. And yet we live in a culture. We live in a world right now that has been handed over and, and we see the effects of that everywhere. But look, we are not ignorant concerning the enemy's schemes and all of his devices. Jesus Christ Jesus Christ has set us up for for the win, Amen. right? So that so that we would overcome. We are not in this world by ourselves. This is why I get so mad that people downplay the effects and the and and the working of the Spirit's power Amen. to help us live in this world. Amen. And and Willie Gray's been drilling this home in our family here lately with our kids, and it's something that's been really eye opening for all of us. It's been an encouragement for us to press in and and to know that we are filled with God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is God, indwells Amen. us. So we are not left here as orphans. We're not left here on our own to fend for ourselves. And I, and, and I think what our brother Scott is doing is reminding us very powerfully that this is a fact. So thank Amen. you so much for that. Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Gail in Illinois. Hi, Gail. Hi, how are you doing? Doing good. Hello. My call. Hey, I just wanted to uh, make a few comments. It's, I I just... I'm upset that we've fallen under the the guise of uh, of the language of the left. Mm. Um, I hate it that we we use words. It shouldn't be transgender. It should be false gender because mm. what they're doing is totally false. It's not it's not trans. You can't transition. That's right, Gail. You're absolutely right. You're right. I received that. I received that correction. And and let me tell you why, because we have done an entire show where we talked about um, their their playbook and the way that they redefine words Mm -hmm. and how we shouldn't use their terms. And I very easily fall into it when discussing it. But what I should do to your point, Gail, is I should give a disclaimer and it doesn't matter how many extra words we have to use. We should use those words so that we maintain our allegiance to truth. Right. And so we should say so-called. And we should use our air quotes whenever we can if people are watching the live stream. And it seems like it's insignificant, but it is hugely significant because we are not discussing the actual transition of one thing to something else. Like this, this is a lie. And and indeed, I would say that this is connected to the great mental anguish that people are experiencing. Gail, your rebuke is well received and I will do better. Thank you so much for that. I agree with you 110%. Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Lynn in Arkansas. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, at a time in my life when um, I was uh, at the menopause, I didn't realize I was yet, and one week I just started feeling really weird, hmm. like in my head. And I said something to a friend of mine, and she said, maybe it's the menopause, and I started taking this product. And, I mean, I was like better immediately like within days and that's what it was that my hormones were off and so i can't imagine when they give someone hormones that are opposite to what they are and what Come they on. have it can make them feel and what 
now I didn't do anything awful, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, a period of time we're taking something like that. I can't even imagine. Mm. And the other thing I wanted to mention was there's a guy, I think his name is Scott Nugent. Anyway, he uh, transitioned, he was a woman, transitioned to be a guy, and has gone through numerous surgeries, life blighted, you know, all kinds of stuff, horrible stuff. He's really miserable. And he's going around the country trying to speak and trying to tell the truth about it. And I just thought, I know he's um, pretty sure he's not a Christian. I heard his website's pretty wild. But um, I think people ought to pray for him. And um, because that call for um, to arm, um, I don't know if you guys have talked about that. They talked about it on Tucker Carlson, someone in the political spectrum, I guess, um, told uh, trans people they're in danger and they should arm themselves. Mm. Anyway, that was that came out. So um, wow. anyway, I just want I want to say, I want to say thank you so thank much, you, Lynn. Lynn. I, I appreciate your transparency there. And the point that you are making is well made. And, and indeed, the whistleblower who was in, I want to say, Missouri, who revealed all of the information that we are not allowed to talk about, right? That the side effects of these children taking these uh, hormones, first of all, the puberty blockers, and then the replacement hormones and all of these things that they are experiencing the increased rates of suicide ideation and the things that not only what's physically happening in their body, but what's mentally happening in their body. And so Lynn, you're making an excellent point there. And I think it's one that we can't afford to ignore. Let's go back to the phone lines. Will the Great, where do we go? All right, let's go to Carolyn in Texas. Hi, Carolyn. Hello. How are you? Hello. 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 Go right ahead, Carolyn. We're doing well. How are you? Okay. Um, I wanted to thank you so very much. I listen to you every day. I am raising a 15-year-old granddaughter that I've had since she was three. We lost her mother. And I am so worried about how how our world is going. And Mickey, you and Will, thank you for bringing the truth to us. And today's program was a a benchmark for me that Mm. you brought facts you brought things to to bear that i hope people will listen to um if they don't um you have done everything that you can do you're such a an example to me in raising my granddaughter she's 15 goes to a christian school Mm -hmm. that's called covenant it scared me to death it wasn't the other one but it is just um, I have a friend that is going to launch out into the world and um, try to go against some of this in a very high uh, port. Uh, they're going against corporate uh, that has bought into the LPG uh, data, and uh, I need his prayers. I need uh, he knows what it's going to be when he goes into it, but. Uh, we say that we people, our Christians should stand up and fight. Amen. If we don't, we're going to lose it. And he is going to fight and we're Amen. going to help him. But he will get pushback of a mighty, mighty way. And I'm mm. scared for him. Carolyn, well, I tell you, you don't need to mention his name. The Lord knows who he is, and we will join you in prayer. That is what the body of Christ is here for, for us to kind of hold one another's arms up 
um, as we go into battle, that we stand with each other. We don't take steps back. But I want to say this. I want to encourage all of our listeners this this program and the wrapping up of this entire week, I hope it serves to encourage you that we continue to tell the truth about who Jesus Christ is until Monday. Lord willing. God bless.